The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Washington, and here is your top five at five. One down. Could it be six to go? The Fed finally hiking rates, the first in three years. But some think the Fed not acting fast enough. Strong words from President Biden for Vladimir Putin. This is Washington approves hundreds of millions of dollars in aid to Ukraine, a live report from the region ahead. Extending gains in Beijing. Chinese stocks up after an historic rebound that saw some individual names rise by more than 40% in one day. But why? Call it the big bank backlash. Texas lawmakers take issue with Citigroup's new policy on abortion. Later on, why are gas prices still sky high even as oil starts to fall? We'll show you with some maybe good news ahead. It is your morning RBI, and it is ahead on this Thursday, March 17th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good to be back with you, and by the way, happy St. Patrick's Day. Well, let's see if the markets may have a little luck of the Irish today, which... By the way, actually may be a thing for stocks. Ryan Dietrich of LPL will be along to explain just why in a few minutes. That's ahead. But right now, stock futures not looking so lucky. There's no green on the screen necessarily. Fair value a little bit. But overall, we are down very fractionally. This after a late rally yesterday that saw the Dow pop more than 600 points for a 1.5% gain. It was even better for the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ coming off 2 and 3% jumps. A big day and what's been a big week, especially for many beaten up stocks. 24 members of the S&P 500 have risen more than 10% just since Monday. Six are up more than 15%. Definitely a little short covering happening in some names, but overall it's been a good week for your money if it's been in the stock market. And with yesterday's rally, the major indexes are now all up, not only for the week, but also on pace for their best week of the year. Huh. This even as the Fed hikes interest rates for the first time in more than three years and signal that it will do the same at each of the next six meetings, at least for now. On the heels of that hike, 10-year yields spiking. They're at 2.15%. And can oil continue its recent slide? Well, not right now. Actually, oil is higher by a couple of bucks this morning to 98 and change, though well down from its intraday high of 125 hit during the market hours on March 8th, we're seeing Brent crude, though, in Europe, back above 100 bucks. Around the world, stocks in Asia continuing their rebound from multi-year lows. That, after seeing the single best day in parts of China since 2008. Hong Kong closing higher once again, so a little buying action coming in overseas. Names you know, the ones that are also familiar here, Tencent, Alibaba, JD.com, and more, surging for their second day after we said the single best day ever. That was on Tuesday, but many names, look at those gains. Those are gains followed through today, by the way, or yesterday, I should say, in Asia, but a huge two-day rally in much of China. 
In the meantime, let's get a check on the early action in Europe, as well as a check on metals in London, because the London Metals Exchange, the LME, resuming trading of nickel after they tried to restart it and failed yesterday. It's a big story because nickel is an important commodity in many things. Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom with more on whether or not trading actually got underway today. Rosanna, what's going on? Yeah, good morning, Brian. Welcome back. Well, it has gotten underway this morning after that false start on Wednesday. Now there's a new limit up and limit down of 8% either side of Wednesday's closing price for nickel. And it's swiftly upon opening this three-month contract on the London Metal Exchange hit that lower limit of 8% negative. So that's just under $42,000 a tonne. Now, you might remember a week ago, the reason this contract was suspended from the LME was because it shot through $100,000 a tonne based on supply disruption concerns out of the Russia-Ukraine situation. Russia exporting somewhere around 10% of the world's nickel, which is used to make uh, EV batteries. And the LME going through a period of existentialism the last week or so in the way that it handled these metals contracts. Well, I keep monitoring this uh, closely today, but hitting that lower band currently. Now, just to take you through those Europe markets, as you mentioned there, Brian, inheriting a very strong lead from Asia indeed. And we are seeing broad-based positivity throughout Europe this morning, particularly the CAC in Paris and the broad stock 600 up around about half a percent or so. The FTSE 100, meanwhile, here in London has been up around a quarter of a percent so far in Thursday morning trade. In a few hours' time, we're going to have a Bank of England policy rate decision, which could mean a sort of quarter-point rate hike, similar to what you guys uh, saw stateside there on Wednesday, so watching that closely. We've also got ECB President Christine Lagarde uh, speaking in Frankfurt shortly, not expecting anything that should move the markets really, but just one to watch as the DAX is slightly lower today. Rosanna Lockwood in London. Hey, Rosanna, actually, before I let you go, um, nickel. I mean, I know it's weird we're talking about nickel because people are thinking nickels. Why are they talking about nickel? Yeah. We're talking about the commodity metal. Much of it coming from Russia, hugely important for things like steelmaking, also increasingly important in things like batteries for electric cars. I mean, the nickel story, and by the way, with this, this Chinese trader that may have an $8 billion margin call on nickel, nickel's a, a bigger deal. It's not something we usually talk about very much, but it matters to a lot of things, does it not? It, it really matters, Brian. I think key in this is that it is such a huge component part in EV batteries. And it's just drawn light, basically, to this area of the markets, which perhaps doesn't get much spotlight. But I also want to draw your attention to what's happening in the energy and commodity space at the moment with the spike of the Russia prices at the moment. I'm hearing a lot of talk here in London, particularly, that the kind of liquidity calls that we saw amidst all this volatility on the metals exchange could then be seen in the energy space as well. Though We've actually had the European the Energy Traders Association speaking about quite intolerable cash liquidity pressure amid this volatility in wholesale energy prices here in Europe and traders calling for emergency central bank intervention and some traders I'm speaking to say this could materialise in the next four to six weeks. So where you were looking at the nickel market which is quite small in all things considered, the energy market of course being a, a huge, a huge amount bigger than that. Yeah, it is. And uh, there you go. LME nickel trading. Never have we focused so much on nickel because we never had to use nickel for so much. Rosanna Lockwood, thank you very much. Appreciate it. To Ukraine and the fighting now well into its 22nd day. Western security officials this morning saying the Russian offensive has largely stalled on all fronts with the vast majority of Ukrainian territory, including all major cities, 
still in Ukrainian hands. This after the Biden administration approved another $800 million in Ukrainian military aid, all on the heels of an impassioned plea from Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky to U.S. members of Congress yesterday, saying, if America is unwilling to implement its own no-fly zone, there is still more that can be done to help. In the midst of all this, we send it over now to NBC's Jay Gray. He is on the Ukraine-Poland border with more where we understand, Jay, there has just been nearly a constant stream of families, mostly women and small children, uh, looking to stream into Poland. Yeah. Yeah, no question about that. We're about three, maybe four miles from the actual border crossing, and we continue to see families moving into Poland trying to escape the violence. And this is the kind of help they are getting. We're inside what used to be an empty warehouse, and it's now uh, the center for the world's central kitchen. It, it, it's unbelievable to see what they've done here in just a matter of weeks as they continue to prepare hot meals for those some walking two and three days just to get to the border. Daybreak brings another attack on Kyiv. Crumbling buildings litter the capital city as Russian airstrikes continue around the clock. In the battered city of Mariupol, the shelling continues even as they unload the wounded. Doctors at this hospital, one of the last standing in the region, treat the victims of war. While villages across Ukraine honor their fallen heroes. These guys are like angels, angels for us. They died here protecting us physically, and then probably they're going to be protecting us there in heaven. As so many go through the hell of trying to escape, Already, more than three million have rushed from the fighting, mothers clutching their babies just across the border, safe, but uncertain of what comes next. Whatever's happening here is going to be happening for a long time, and people are going to need a lot of things and a lot of supplies and clothing and everything. Because they've left most everything behind. Yeah, and, and what you don't think of initially is just a hot meal. They, they have the ability here, believe it or not, Brian, to uh, make as many as 200,000 meals a day. Wow, doing uh, amazing work there in nearly impossible circumstances, uh, a heartwarming tale in a yeah. difficult circumstance. Uh, Jay Gray on the border of Poland and Ukraine. Jay, please yeah. be well, be safe, and uh, thank everybody behind you uh, for us here. Jay, thank, thank you. you. All right, back now to your money. Stocks having their best week of the year. This even as the Federal Reserve raises interest rates by one quarter percent. The Federal Reserve also signaling the possibility of six more rate hikes this year and another three next year. Fed Chair Jay Powell hinting at his news conference, the central bank could start also reducing its nearly $9 trillion balance sheet as soon as May Fed members expect inflation, though, to remain elevated all year long, bumping up their estimates to 4.1% on some of the key inflation numbers. Powell says the Fed is attentive to the risks of a further rise in inflation. We, of course, want to achieve uh, you know, price stability with a strong labor market. But we do understand also that really you can't have maximum employment for any sustained period without price stability. So we need to 
focus on price stability, in particular, particularly because the labor market is so strong and the economy is so strong. We feel like the economy can handle tighter monetary policy. So what exactly is the historical setup for stocks in a rate hike environment? Is there one for this kind of environment? Let's get some much-needed perspective now with Ryan Dietrich, Chief Market Strategist at LPL Financial, always putting out great historical context. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Uh, rate hikes are seen be- as bad because we've been in a low to no rate <laughs> interest rate environment for going on years and years and years. But that's not true. I mean, there have been many times in history where stocks have gone up even as interest rates have gone up, I assume because it means we have a fairly strong economy. Is that how you see the stock market set up right now? Yeah, Soli, thanks. Good morning for having me. Good morning for having me. Thanks for having me and good morning. It's too early. Sorry about that. Um, yes, you know, we had the first rate hike and of course it caused some worry and some concern with people. But when you go back in history, Brian, it's not that worrisome, right? After the first hike, the last six times, going back, you know, Six cycles, so a long time, a couple decades. One year later, stocks were up every single time. Now, were they up a ton? No, but they were higher. There were 17 rate hikes in 2004, 5, and 6. S&P 500 was up every single year. So, yes, this is different. The headlines are scary. You know, all the inflation, all that stuff's in there. But I kind of agree with what we just what you just played there from Chairman Powell. The economy is pretty strong, right? It, it will be able to withstand this. And history would tell us when you have a rate hike, you're more mid-cycle. Brian, last thing on this. We found after that first rate hike, the S&P 500 has its ultimate peak nearly three and a half years later. So who's to say, you know, three more years of a bull market? It's possible. Yeah, and Ron, I got to correct you. It's not early. You just got to be like I am sometimes. I just stay up. I just end the day right. with the show. That, then I just yeah. say good good evening. If if I say good evening, you'll know what happened. Uh, Ryan, but le- I love you, man, but let's go into a couple little things. The historical yeah. setup looks good, but there's two things out there that are kind of these huge variables. Are they not? Obviously, in all those cycles you talked about, we've never been, I don't want to say on the edge of a major war, but obviously with war happening somewhere uh, on this scale in the country or in the globe. And also a Federal Reserve sitting on $9 trillion of assets that it's going to somehow try to sell off over the next couple of years. Yeah, you're right. And you, you look at geopolitical events. I mean, as devastating and as scary as they are, we look back 70 years and found the S&P pulls back about 5%. And two months later, you actually make up those losses. The Cuba Missile Crisis, Brian, about a 6% decline. And then you know, about a month later, kind of made up for those losses. So we're not minimizing what's going on. But we are saying, you know, markets have a funny way of looking forward. And, you know, once again, we think we're in that scenario. I mean, this all started about three weeks ago, right? Stocks are actually higher since then. We yeah. had the volatility. Um, so, so it's no easy answer. But again, that's what history tells us. And the balance sheet runoff, you're right. That's just another way that the Fed potentially could combat 40-year highs in inflation. We'll see. It's probably going to start in May is what Chairman Powell made it sound like. We'll see how aggressive they are. But between that and, you know, six interest rate hikes, our base case is probably three or four. Still, they're coming, right, this year. Um, Those are ways to combat the 40-year high inflation, which we have to do. And listen, as a a Sullivan, you know, obviously St. Patrick's Day means corned beef and maybe a couple Guinnesses this evening. Uh, But it may also mean green for the stock market, we referenced your stat at the top of the show. I know it sounds ridiculous. It's yeah. just a day, right? We're not chasing snakes off. 
But historically, you found maybe there's some good cheer in the stock market today. That's right. Again, don't blindly invest in just <laughs> one day. But but for the first nine months of the year, take a wild guess, the best average return going back to 1950. Yes, St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day for, for stocks is up 0.37%. Doesn't sound like a bunch for the S&P. That's actually one of the best five days of the year is St. Patrick's Day. Believe me, it's probably wow. totally random. Or people just have a little bit of fun today and they start pushing the buy button. I'm not sure, but it is a strong day historically and it's green. Again, don't invest specifically on that, but it is kind of an odd historical anomaly. Ryan, we love it. We'll call that random, but oh, interesting. There you Ryan go. Dietrich, thank you. Thank you. We all have a, a need for some good cheer these days. Ryan, appreciate that. All right. We are just getting started. And when we come back, if you're like most people or many, you may have shared your Netflix password, you know, with a, a friend or a family member. But Netflix doesn't like that. So wait till you hear what they plan to do to maybe stop that. But it could actually be good news because they'll make money in the process. Bertha Coombs up with that. And then later on, why relief could be coming at the gas pump sooner, maybe then later. Maybe some good news in your morning RBI as we look at the real connection between oil and gas prices and maybe not what D.C. wants you to hear. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right. Good morning and welcome back. Stock futures flat to slightly lower as oil. Looks like it may stop its five-day slide. It is slightly higher right now. More on that coming up in just a few moments. But right now, some other key business headlines happening now, including a possible break for all you Netflix password sharing scoff laws out there. And you know who you are. <laughs> Bertha Coombs is here and is actually wearing green, unlike me, which apparently I'm wearing teal. Uh, it was O Dark 30 when I reached into the it's closet, Bertha, so shame on me. <laughs> yeah, not enough. I'm, I'm in this trouble with my Irish ancestors. I was like, uh, well, thank you. Let's move on to the headlines, shall we? Good morning to you. After years of turning a blind eye to password sharing, Netflix is testing a new program to change all that and charge users who share their credentials with people outside of their households. Test will begin in the coming weeks in smaller markets like Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru. Users who share their account passwords will be allowed to set up two sub-accounts for people outside their households for about an extra $2.99 a month. 
City, meantime, is under fire from Republican officials and lawmakers in Texas over its new policy on abortions, one where the bank says it will cover travel and lodging costs for employees seeking out the procedure in states with near-total bans. In a statement, the head of the state's Republican Party says the new policy is, quote, appalling, but not surprising considering its past adoption of far-left causes. And Spotify is drawing up plans to add blockchain technology and NFTs to its streaming service. According to two recent job posts, Spotify is apparently looking for people to work on early stage Web3 products, a tech buzzword for all things blockchain. The move by Spotify follows a similar push from other tech giants like Meta's Instagram and Reddit, which both confirmed this week they will also start supporting NFTs. I'm not quite sure the connection between NFTs, which are visual and an audio medium, but yeah, that's way above my pay grade. Yeah, I guess it's just pure examples of digital ownership that cannot be replicated or copied. I don't know about your birth or you're a global celebrity. When I go out, occasionally get noticed, you know, tall and loud mostly. The biggest questions I get are not on the markets, they're not on the Fed, they're not even on oil, they're on NFTs. And I got to tell people, I'm not your expert. Like, it's complicated. <laughs> right? What the heck is an NFT? <laughs> it's it's a non-fungible token, and that's about the extent of my knowledge. Bertha Coombs, thank you. <laughs> All right. All right. A rare moment of honesty in the media. All right, on deck. The real reason gas prices are staying up, even as oil prices come down, and it probably has more to do with mom and pop than big oil. We'll explain. Plus, speaking of no oil, why Tesla is scrapping a huge debt sale. We're back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome or welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. Three key stock stories of the day. Let's go. First up, PagerDuty. Shares are surging. It beat estimates. The cloud competing company CEO says the strong performance was largely due to a high retention rate for its products. Stock 2 Williams-Sonoma shares also popping on its earnings report. The kitchen and furniture company also announcing a dividend hike and a stock buyback plan. Revenue growth for the company's West Elm furniture brand at more than 18%. CEO saying the quarter showed resilience despite supply chain and labor woes. And stock three, Tesla apparently delaying a $1 billion bond offering backed by auto leases. And according to Bloomberg, bankers for the company had already placed a significant portion of those bonds with fund managers before the sale was halted. At least seven securitized debt deals have been halted since the Russian invasion began as global uncertainty and inflation have led short-term rates sharply higher. By the way, Tesla today... Also, raising the price of its Model Y in China, 
by more than $2,000 U.S. dollars. That is input costs rise. Tesla shares, they are slightly lower right now. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Much more on the Fed and why your next guest says J-PAL may not be acting aggressively enough. We'll be right back. Powell pulls the trigger on the Fed's first rate hike in years and says the market is ready for more. But is it? The U.S. committing $800 million in more military aid to Ukraine as the conflict enters its 22nd day. And patience is a virtue, at least at the gas pump. Today's RBI and why relief may be on the way. It is Thursday, March 17th. This is Worldwide Exchange. Welcome or welcome back, everybody. Aaron Gobrog. I am Brian Sullivan. A big thanks to all of you waking up early to start our day with us. Some of you we got to meet in the last couple of days, by the way, in Florida, like David and family from Westport, Connecticut. Much appreciated to everybody either getting up or maybe listening on the podcast. Thank you. All right. We are just about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour in stock futures right now. Not a lot of luck of the Irish here. We are not seeing a sign the markets are going to continue to power through from this week's earlier rally. We are seeing stock futures. I mean, I'll say they're down. I don't really want to because they're off less than one-tenth of one percent. We've had a pretty nice start to this week. In fact, so far, it's been the best week of the year. 24 members of the S&P 500 are up more than 10 percent just this week. Six of those are up more than 15 percent. Certainly a little short covering may be happening in some of these names, but Never mind that. Uh, we are seeing stocks overall have a big week. Buyers coming in, even after the Fed pulled the trigger on its first interest rate hike in more than three years. You, you might have heard something about that yesterday. It's going to finally start to fight inflation and soon may start to wind down its record high balance sheet. But can they pull it off without sending us into a recession? We'll talk about it. It's also going to check on oil. It is actually slightly higher right now. It's been sliding for the last week or so. Brent crude back above 100 bucks a barrel. Coming up in the RBI, we'll look at the relationship between oil prices and gasoline prices, something that might surprise you maybe despite what you've been hearing a lot of lately from Washington, D.C. All right, in the meantime, we'll get more in the markets in moments, but right now, a much more serious topic, and that is Ukraine and the fighting well into its 22nd day. The Biden administration approving another $800 million in Ukrainian military aid, it came after an impassioned plea from Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky to members of Congress yesterday, saying that if the U.S. is unwilling to implement its own no-fly zone, there is still more that can be done to help. This is talks between Russia and Ukraine continue today. Let's send it out now to NBC's Molly Hunter in Lviv as Russia continues to assault and kill people across the nation, mostly from airstrikes, as we understand it, Molly. Brian, that's right. Mostly from airstrikes, mostly indiscriminately and mostly targeted at civilians. The headline overnight and the heartbreaking news was there was a drama theater in the center in the heart of Mariupol, apparently what was once a very vibrant section of the town. And on each side of that drama theater, Brian, they had written children in white writing in the Russian language, clearly visible from the sky because we have seen it in satellite images provided by Maxar. That was bombed overnight. Now, our understanding is that 1,200 people were seeking refuge in that. We do not have a death toll. 
But this just continues the onslaught on Mariupol. The relative good news from Mariupol, that city on the Black Sea that has been besieged, that the Russians are trying to starve out, is that about 30,000 people have managed to escape in the last couple of days. Brian, it's a city of 450,000, so these are low numbers. And according to President Zelensky, just yesterday alone, 6,000 people were able to get out in private vehicles, not in a humanitarian convoy. 2,000 of those people uh, were children, Brian. Just heart-wrenching video and photos that we are seeing from teams like yours and others, and some of whom unfortunately have been injured and killed. It's getting more and more dangerous by the day. And we keep hearing, Molly, that Russia is ramping up its air bombardment of Kiev. Uh, they continue to pound, and it seems like they're pounding the biggest cities even harder now. That's exactly right. These are cities that they have tried to surround, that they have besieged, so including Mariupol, Volnavaha, Kharkiv, and then looking up to the capital of Kiev. Now, according to the Ukrainian military assessments, their argument is, and their reasoning is, is that the Russian troops have basically stalled out. They can't move, and they're not moving as quickly or as efficiently as they had hoped. And this is something we've been talking about, Brian, for the last couple of weeks. So in the absence of their ground troops making good progress towards these cities, towards Kiev, they are launching and stepping up indiscriminate airstrikes on the capital. And that means they're hitting apartment buildings. They are hitting metro stations, the drama theater in Mariupol. They are hitting TV towers. They are hitting uh, civilian targets. These, there's no military infrastructure around these places in Kiev. Our chief foreign correspondent, Richard Engel, has been on the ground. He has seen with his own eyes these apartment buildings. Only civilians live there. And that is what Russians are targeting, Brian. Yeah, and you just wonder, Molly, if, if their goal was to sort of take over the country, what are they going to leave behind? What, what are they doing? They're either destroying it or they want the hearts and minds of the people. So it looks like this is turning into just a campaign of destruction, not, not of even just coming in and winning the hearts. No, they're laying waste to much of the country. They are raising these cities. We just saw an interview from the deputy mayor of Mariupol. He estimates 80 to 90 percent of his city has been flattened, has been bombed, has been destroyed. And this is the Russian playbook, Brian. We have talked about this. This is what they did to Aleppo. When you see this drone footage, and we've seen some shaky drone footage out of Mariupol, it is just flattened. It is pulverized. So you wonder if they do want to set in for a long occupation, if that was their eventual yeah. plan to surround these cities, to come in, to take over, to put their own officials in, nothing's going to be there waiting for them. And, and there's no way that the people are going to be waiting for them with open arms because you're killing their women and children and husbands and grandparents and laying waste to a nation, mostly it seems now, out of just sheer rage and punishment. Vladimir Putin, the war criminal. Molly Hunter, NBC News. Thank you. Be well. All right, turning back now to your money, and we continue to watch the impact from the Federal Reserve's rate hike decision and what is likely to be six more hikes this year. Those moves would point to a Fed funds rate by 1.9% at the end of the year, up from basically zero as of two days ago. We're also still watching moves in Chinese tech stocks, which are continuing to soar after getting pummeled in recent weeks. Names like Alibaba, JD.com, Baidu, all up sharply more overnight, raising questions as to whether Chinese government backstops are enough to get U.S. investors ready to buy. Also watching moves in commodities, of course, can't talk about inflation without talking about things like platinum and palladium, even nickel resuming trading and oil, by the way, back higher again this morning. Joining us now to talk about it all is Larry McDonald, editor of the Bear Traps Report. Uh, Larry, there's about a million things I want to ask you, buddy. Great to have you back on. 
Um, we've been hearing from Washington, and I'm not picking on D.C. necessarily, but we're hearing from Washington that inflation is Putin's fault. Uh, market watchers know that's, that's not entirely the whole case. Uh, but if it is Putin's war, uh, what are rate hikes going to do to slow down inflation? Exactly. I mean, essentially what's been happening over the last year, Brian, is inflation has already been hiking rates for the Fed. So our work shows that the, essentially inflation has already inflicted about 200 basis points of, of rate hikes. Uh, the power of the rate hikes in terms of slowing things down, that's happening already. And uh, Neil Ferguson and I sat down a, a year ago and he reminded me of a very important fact. There's only one thing in the, in the history of, of economics in the world that's more inflationary than a pandemic. It's a war. So it's a highly unusual period where to have a war and a pandemic back to back, you need to change your entire asset allocation in your portfolio back to like a 1970s, 80s yeah. model, not a 2002 model or 2021 model. I know it's it is kind of a shame that that we're, that we're obsessed with blame in America. By the way, both parties are guilty of it. You got to blame the other guy. Just continue to divide, divide, divide. There's things that are happening that are out of anybody's control, whether it's Vladimir Putin or the pandemic. I mean, to be fair to everybody out there, that's that's to your point, the historical reality. So that said, given that backdrop, given where rates are and are likely going, what do we buy and what do we sell, Larry? Yeah, the reason for that thinking is, you know, the establishment at the ECB and the Fed have been in denial and the politicians have been in denial of the first stage of inflation. I mean, in many respects, it's either bold-faced lying or just deception or just being obtuse. <laughs> you know, they, they really ignored the problem for a long time. And now we have we have the uh, second stage of the problem. So I look at this. In 1981, the industrials, materials, and energy, those three groups, made up 40% of the S&P. 40%. By the end of last year, that was down to a little bit less than 14%. And so materials, for example, materials made up inside the S&P 500 in 1981, almost 11%, 10, 11%. And now, you know, last year it was down to three. So you're talking about, you know, possibly three, four trillion dollars that over the next four years is going to migrate from financial assets, so growth stocks and bonds, over to hard assets. So we love the silver miners here, the SIL ETF. Uh, the XME, uranium, you know, we have a basket of, of these hard assets. And we run a Bloomberg chat with about 650 institutional investors in 23 countries. And we're every day we're seeing more and more of that language in the conversation. Yeah, you wonder where it's going to go? Is it going to get worse from here, Larry? I mean, could we have a I think I think the Putin's insane war will cause even more inflation Inflation was hot before he even uh, went into Ukraine. Could we see a 10% CPI print in the next couple of months? I don't think there's any question that if you look at what's happened with the major commodities over the last 45 days, that is yet to be show up in inflation. So that's the next chapter of the inflation story. So your stocks like Apple, like Apple and Tesla, think about this. You're talking about $3.4 trillion of, in two stocks, right? 
Those types of companies are in big, big trouble. And what's fascinating about this last drawdown that we just had, a lot of drama and a lot of people say, well, you know, there's a lot of bearish sentiment. These stocks did not come anywhere close, those two stocks, Apple and Tesla, nowhere close to the 2018 capitulation, nowhere close. In, in 2020, in, in March, Apple was trading like 700, 800 million shares a day. And this cycle, it's been, it's been trading a fraction of that. So we've yet to see the piercing of kind of the hard asset bubble move over to, I'm sorry, the, the, I would say financial asset bubble move over to uh, hard assets. Yep. Hard assets in a time of inflation. I know a lot of people like them, and uh, you do as well, Larry. It's going to be a, a very interesting next few months. Larry McDonald, Bear Traps Report. Love having you on and your insight, Larry. Have a great day, buddy. We'll see you again soon. Take care. All right, coming up, speaking of, we'll talk more about Jay Powell's policy playbook, but not on inflation. What does it mean for the hundreds of billions or trillions that technology firms are sitting on in cash? Will it eat that value for investors? We'll talk about that next. All right, welcome or welcome back. Let us turn now to technology because no companies are sitting on more cash than the tech giants, things like Apple, Google, and more. So what exactly does a rising interest rate environment mean for these giant dragon-like piles of cash and their investors? CNBC tech correspondent Steve Kovac is here with more. Steve, great to have you on Worldwide Exchange. Uh, let's talk about it. What, what is sort of like the worst case scenario, given that inflation eats the value of dollars for this big tech cash pile? Yeah, that's right, Brian. If you're one of the pessimists, the Larry Summerses of the world, and you think we're heading right into a recession, it's going to look like the 2001.com bust all over again. With the big tech companies sitting pretty at the top still, but the high-flying names, the high-growth names that we've been following all throughout the pandemic and throughout this, you know, the rise in the stock market over the last decade or so, those are those could uh, risk losing their valuations to the point where, you know, they, they look like really tasty acquisition uh, for these big cash piles that Apple and Google and all these other companies have amassed. That's what Dan Niles told me. He really sees this as another 2001.com bust in the making. Wow. Well, Dan Niles, I mean, he's been he's been pessimistic for a while, but yeah. he has been right in the past. Uh, what about others? Are others a little more optimistic yes. than that? That view? Yeah, everyone's split here. Let, let, let's go to the other Dan. Uh, Dan Ives from Wedbush, our, our friend here at CNBC. He told me uh, he sees uh, stocks as oversold now. He sees nothing but upside. The Fed gave us our medicine yesterday. We took it and everything else is priced in. And yeah, now it's time to buy, especially like cybersecurity names after that Mendiant deal that we saw Google scoop up uh, last week. You know, those are going to be really hot uh, names to start investing in. And also the cloud companies. Cloud is still growing like a weed, IBM, Oracle, and so on and so forth. So again, all upside, just the opposite of what Niles said. That's what Ives is seeing. Okay, so uh, Dan v. Dan. Yeah, the like Dan. Spy versus Battle Spy. You probably too young to remember that. That's it. The Dan's Dan it out. All right. What, what does it mean for stocks and investors, Steve? Yeah. It, so the cash piles don't really matter as much um, for what uh, the growth of these stocks, especially in the big tech. What people are still looking for is is margins and, and seeing the top line growth that we co we've come to expect from the Apples and Googles and Amazons of the world. So that's really what these stocks are going to be measured on throughout the uh, throughout the year as these hikes continue.
Steve Kovac laying out. I mean, they're sitting on trillions of dollars probably when you add it all up. That's a, even in these days, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Steve, thanks very much, man. Thanks, See Brian. you soon. All right. All right, on deck, your morning RBI and why unlucky mom and pop may be the real reason gas prices aren't coming down as fast as oil. The story DC probably doesn't want you to hear. Plus, Keith Lerner of Truist got his own RBI for you, and it may make you feel better about stocks. Stick around. Time again for your morning RBI, the most random and hopefully interesting thing you may hear all day. And today, let's talk about what everybody seems to be talking about, at least economically. That is the price of gasoline in America, because there have been a growing number of, shall we say, very vocal D.C. types who are commenting on why gasoline prices are still so gosh darn high when oil prices are coming down every day for the last week or so. It gets folks all worked up, which is probably the goal. But anyway, let's show you why. Gasoline prices, while high, we know, are not in some alternative universe. First, the facts. Oil started the year just under 76 a barrel. It's now $97. At least it was coming into this morning. So it's gained about 30%, maybe a little more with today. But it was much higher back on March 8th. Of course, that did not last. Gasoline futures, what we show you as the unfortunately named RBOB, started 2022 at 222 per gallon, which is kind of weird and cool. But anyway, they're now at $3.07 per gallon for a gain of 38%. And the average price of a gallon of gas across America, what you pay, began the year at 329, according to AAA, and it now sits at $4.28 for a gain of, you guessed it, 30%. So you can see they're all pretty aligned in their moves and that's pretty much always the case. Look at this three-year chart. We can make it five or ten. It wouldn't matter. It's the same showing oil versus the nationwide average price for a gallon of gas. You can see that as, as oil goes up, the orange line, gas moves a little later. And as oil falls, gas falls a little bit later. On the far right, you can see the huge spike in oil the last couple of months, and gasoline followed it up. But here's the most important thing. To take away from all this, unlike the oil prices that we show you on our screens every day, gasoline is a physical thing. Oil prices, they're just futures on a trader's screen, basically a, a piece of paper. Actual gasoline is bought by distributors and gas station owners by the tens or hundreds of thousands of gallon. And once they buy it, they're stuck with that cost until the next load. So let's say you're a gas station owner who bought a massive amount of gas at, say, $4.50 a gallon last week. You timed it terribly, and now future prices are below that. Are you going to sell that gas below your cost? Heck no. Not if you can help it, but it happens all the time because the station owner across the street, ah, she timed her purchase better, and she can make a profit at a lower cost than you. So now you got two bad options. Number one, keep gas prices high and have zero customers. Or sell the gas at a loss just to bring in traffic and hopefully make money on things like coffee and snacks. It is one big reason gas prices always fall slower than they rise. Because it's a huge fixed cost for about a week. And stations make so little money selling gasoline, they of course will try to keep prices elevated as long as they can. Because they're making up for losses they've already taken. It's not called greed. It's called trying to survive. If you don't believe me, two things. Number one, don't listen to me. Go ask a local gas station owner. The smaller, the better. Or better yet, ask yourself the simple question. 
When oil went negative in April of 2020, did gas prices also go negative? Did you get paid to fill up? I don't think so. Same concept, but in reverse. It's not hard, at least it shouldn't be, but it is hopefully random but interesting. And here's the good news. Gas prices, as long as oil stays flat to down, they are going to come down. Just give it a few days for those tanks to drain. All right, back now to the markets and what could be another contender for your RBI. This one on the Fed rate hike decision to come from Truist Advisors Services. Keith Lerner, always great with it, pointing out that stocks have risen an average annualized rate of 9% during the 12 Fed rate hike cycles going back since the 1950s when gas was a nickel and a Hershey bar was a dime and showed positive returns at 11 of those times. For more, the man himself, Keith Lerner, co-chief investment officer at Truist and a man who we have no doubt lifted or I've <laughs> stolen our RBI from on many a day. Keith, great to have you on. So Fed rate hikes, they don't necessarily mean the markets won't go up. Yeah, well, for us, uh, Brian, great to be with you. Happy St. Patty's Day. I wore my St. Patty's tie for you today. First time I put it on a tie in a few months. But that's to be uh, with the, the Sullivan Show this morning. Um, as far as the markets <laughs> and the Fed rate hikes, uh, that's right. I mean, historically, the first rate hike does not kill the bull market. It tends to inject volatility in the markets. But to a point you made earlier, Tim, um, this normally happens when the economy is growing. I will say there's some differences with this with this rate hike and, and where we are with Fed policy that we have to, you know, be aware of as far as how big the balance sheet is. You know, as you look at um, what's interesting, I'll give you one more RBI, Brian. Right now, as far as the first rate hike, historically, the unemployment rate has been around 6%. And inflation has been around two and a half percent when the Fed first raises rates. This time, as we know today, the unemployment rate is much lower, below four percent, and inflation is above seven percent. So the Fed really has to has to move forward, and that's why they they focused so much on that yesterday, even in light of the geopolitical tensions that we still have. Yeah, that is fascinating, and of course, that Putin's war does add a whole new variable and potential risk and volatility to all the historical references, Keith. I would imagine. I mean, it's a big you go back through history and you say, OK, this happened. But then this happened. We also have a nine trillion dollar Fed balance sheet and a war started by a madman in, in lower Europe. Yeah, I think there's no doubt you use that as a starting point. But, you, you know, I think it was Warren Buffett that said it is if all you needed was history, the the, uh, the richest people would be librarians. Right. But it's a good starting point to say this is what tends to happen. Huh. And then you layer on other things around that. Um, and, you know, listen, I think right now, from our perspective, the range of potential outcomes is unusually wide, especially what's happening with the commodities markets in general and what's happening overseas. We still think the underlying trend is positive over the next 12 months, but we're certainly expecting more moderate gains in this volatility to stay, which was going to happen even outside of the invasion. If you think about it, Brian, the market actually peaked in early January around the Fed minutes. Truly remarkable, Keith. So give us a little advice. It's it's Opportunity Thursday, we'll call it. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Thanks for the tie. We're the only ones wearing one, by the way, in the, probably the whole day. <laughs> Uh, what do we what what do we own right now, Keith? Yeah, well, listen. I, I think from Quickly, a please. big picture asset asset allocation perspective, we are still overweight equities relative to fixed income, but at a lower margin than we would have been uh, last year. Over the last two years, when we've been big bulls, we're still positive, but bringing that in a little bit. We still like the U.S. on a, on a relative basis overall. And then mm-hmm. within within the U.S., small caps are trading below 14 times earnings on a forward basis, so a lot of bad news priced in. <clears throat> well, we yeah, man always bringing the heat and the 
No, no, I sorry for the music. We should have probably played, I don't know, some sort of Irish tune from the Chieftains, uh, given it's St. Patrick's Day, Keith. Uh, we appreciate you getting up. We appreciate you throwing on the green tie. We always appreciate your insight and wisdom. Keith Lerner, thank you very much. And, folks, thank you all for watching Worldwide Exchange. We will see you again tomorrow. Have a great day wherever in the world that you may be. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.